0: Turn to Second Timothy, we were there when we started this little series that we're on, titled, Have You, and with and then a question mark, uh, it leads up to a question that you're being asked that I'm asking you in a series. And Second Timothy 2, it talks about, as we began with, in verse 15, I think, that we are to study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. When you add that with verses that teach us to learn about him, then we are information gatherers, that God has things to show us, the things that God shows us are things we're supposed to do. As we do these things, we fulfill God's requirement for us to walk in his steps and be obedient and so forth. Now, the question that was asked is, in light of all of that, have you? First of all, is the most necessary and important question you'll ever answer in this life, and it's, have you been born again? If you've never been born again, you can be nothing more than religious or a church member. But none of those things make you born again. You must be born again. Now, we said a lot about that. I don't want to repeat all of it. Secondly, we said, have you been baptized in water? Now, after the new birth, there's not a whole lot of emphasis Is put on these other things, but I'm asking you the question, have you been baptized in water? Because you won't read anywhere in the New Testament that people were saved or born again without being baptized in water. The third thing we asked was the question the apostles asked disciples wherever they found them is, have you received the Holy Spirit? And we talked about that for three weeks. And so tonight the question is, have you joined yourself, now if you can answer those other three affirmatively, have you now joined yourself to a local assembly? Are you a part, a member of a local assembly somewhere where you live, obviously, because that's where you function from, that's where you work, and that's where your home is, and it's where you do most everything you do is at home. So that's not much of a concern today about being a member of a local assembly, because that's one thing that multitudes of Christians in any persuasion, whether, well, except for maybe Catholics, most all other religions, if you attend a church or your name is on a roll, that's good enough, whether you are functioning there or not. I remember once we had a congregational meeting back in the Christian church in Charlestown. We were having a... Actually, in the middle of having a church split, and the side that was opposing us, this is kind of childish to say all this, but it was it was in a church of grown-up people. The other side was contacting everybody that was on the church membership roll and asked them to come to town that week so they could vote. And some of them had moved away and hadn't been in church for years and years. But they were on the membership row, so therefore they were entitled to vote in congregational meetings, and they wanted as many votes as they could get, which they didn't get. I don't know how anybody can be a Christian in this life and not be a part of a local body. Now, I know there are some exceptions to that. I know that. I know that there are people who may be in a nursing home, as one lady that, that I know, and, and she can't help herself or maybe you're married to somebody who doesn't even believe in, in God, or however that happened, there could be a lot of reasons. You could be somehow unable where you live to find any church. God saved you when you lived in Timbuktu, and there was nothing there, but your husband doesn't see it the way you do, and or your wife maybe, and they don't want to move away from where they live, because that's where mom and dad live, that's where we work, and that's where we grew up, and I don't want to leave. And There are a lot of reasons that people give as to why they can't be in a local assembly. But it has to be important because the Bible says, and trust me with this, the New Testament says so much about it, references the church and the body of Christ so much that we need to stop and pause in our learning and gathering of information being taught by the Lord and need to ask ourselves, now, in light of this... Where do I stand? Have I truly joined myself to a local congregation of believers where I am accepted and where I function, where I come and where I go, where I'm taught, where I support? Have I done that? And you need to ask yourself that because, again, a lot of people, they don't put any emphasis on that at all. Most people, as we'll see shortly here after a while, most people go wherever they want to go, when they want to go, if they want to go. They come and say a while and see what's going on. They might like a sermon or a series and stay for that, and then, hey, here's something they don't like, and they go somewhere else. Because these, these people, while calling themselves Christians, and I'm not going to doubt that, but they are not committed to functioning in any particular local assembly. Now, God never called us to do that or think like that or be like that. That's not what we're supposed to do. If he saved us, he puts us somewhere because there's too much, again, in the, in the Bible about it. But I think most people really do observe, have in their mind, most Christians, not some, but most, have in their mind that membership in a local assembly is an option. You should, we ought to, but it's not necessary. And it's not necessary because they believe in two churches. There's the big church, which God would call his kingdom, and they know that when God saved them, he put them in that, and as far as the little church, the local church, well, even if I'm not a part of that, I know I'm still a part of the big one, so one's really necessary. This one isn't, and that's the mindset of most Christian people. It really is. Now, let's define what we're talking about when we talk about a local assembly, a local church. I think we all have an idea of what that is. The word church is mentioned 79 times in Scripture, usually by the word, maybe all the words, are ekklesia. And the word means an assembly. It's not a building. It's an assembly. We call going to church or the church, we look at a building and say, there's our church. Well, I think there's a German word from which we get our word church, but the biblical word for church is really assembly. I know when we started this assembly here and I called it, it was, it was my call Or what are we going to be called? I thought, well, we're in Shelbyville and we're Christian. And when we come together, we're an assembly. So Shelbyville Christian Assembly sounds scriptural to me. And so that's, that's what we do. And that's what I believe. <laughs> now, the church that is a local church, it's said to be in, Bible, in the Bible, Jesus' church, not Hamilton's, not Smith's, not Jones's, not some man. Well, that's, that's so-and-so's church, or that's their church, or his church. Turn to Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. A local church, I'll define it in just a moment, but let me do this first. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. Jesus said, and I say unto thee, Peter, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build whose church? My church. Now, upon what? Well, you could mention four things here. Sinners are confronted by the message of life or light. They hear it, whether you hear it in here, you hear it on the radio from a friend, a Somebody on the street, an evangelist, but you heard it. You were confronted with the truth, the reality of your need to be saved. And when it happens, it happens because you can see what they're saying. Most people just say, yeah, well, whatever. I go to this or that. I Well, you see it your way. I see it mine. But when you get a revelation of that, it becomes clear. You're confronted with the message. The message becomes clear as a revelation to you. Thirdly, you acknowledge it. I see that, I need that, I am humbled by this truth, and I I bow my heart and my soul to the Lord in repentance. And in this repentance, there is a public confession, usually followed by baptism, water baptism. Jesus said, on this rock, these are the kind of people, this is the way they will come in. On this rock, I will build my church. So the New Testament church is his church. You would agree to that. His church is always somewhere. It's not something out there, undefined, that cannot be seen, some invisible mystical church. It is a place somewhere that God's people who are visible and seen, where they meet. And this whole idea of bringing people together that are saved, putting them together in an assembly Was his idea. So this is Christ's church. He said, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, the church is called these things in the scriptures. It's an assembly, it's called a church, it's called a body, and they're referred to as called out ones. May not say it like that, but that's what they are. All of us who are saved. All believers, all those that have been born again, were born again by invitation of Christ to come out of your sins. You know that, don't you? That we were all confronted. All of us were made to be aware, as I just said, by a revelation from God, we were made to be aware of our sinfulness. And when we saw it, when we really saw it, we were affected by it. We saw ourselves as the kind of people that God should judge, not save and yet a just and loving God. Instead of judging us, which he's free to do, he's fair in doing it. He chose by grace to break our hearts and point us to him. And we were willing to turn away from wherever we were, humbled ourselves before God, or bowed our knee, or bowed the heart, as we say, and ask God to save us. This is how we are called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, if you'll turn with me again to Colossians chapter 1, I'd like to show you how this becomes his church or how it's called his church. Those people who believe in him and who follow him. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 18. And he, Jesus, is head of, does it say the church? Or the body said, and he is the head of the body. Well, what is a body? Well, we know in our limitedness and and in regular, normal, obvious language, a body is a human figure. I mean, we're made in the image of God. We're like that. But we have a body, we have a form, and we have a head which guides the body. If you cut the head off, the body's dead. It won't do. I don't care how good or big or strong it looks. If you remove the head, there's nothing there. But when everything is well and whole, the head governs the body, and the body functions like the head tells it to. If we're corrupt, if we're unsaved, what's in our mind tells our body to do things. We, we tells us to cuss or steal or act foolish or expose ourselves or or whatever nasty or unclean thing that our mind tells us to do. Our body follows. Now, think of this. God called a bunch of us together, and we are likened into a body. And the head of this body is Christ. Now, if this body is as he wants it to be, then it will do what he wants it to do. Are you with me? None of us are a law unto themselves. Everybody has to have And I don't know where you find a whole congregation like this, but everybody in that assembly or that body has to have a personal commitment to the head to do what he wants. Otherwise, we're just another social gathering on this earth that does what seems right. That we vote on whether or not it's the right thing to do. We get together and we try to get the headiest people to make good decisions. Well, what do you think about this? And yet the church is not like that. That's a man-made thing. The other thing is the church is this is the way, walk ye in it. God opens our hearts, gives us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That's why we study. And when God gives us a revelation of the knowledge of him, it becomes the only right way for us to live. Now, there are other ways that man devises that seem right, but there's only one right way, and that's God's way. Now, if we're not committed to that, then we're just another group of people calling ourselves a certain name church, meeting together, trying to improve ourselves, make ourselves better. And yet, I don't think God intended for man to ever do it that way. He says that when you come together, you take my yoke upon you, and you learn of me, and you'll find that the way I am it's the way I want you to be, so that as he is, so are we in this world, so that it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Our lives begin to change. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen instantly. Remember, God saves sinners, and some of us were pretty rank, and I say that in shame, but some of us were just pretty, pretty rank. And God takes rank people and tests their hearts. He gives us a heart to receive what he says. And when we receive what he says, we'll be put to the test as to whether we really meant what we said. Do you really mean you'll follow Christ? Do you really mean that Jesus is your Lord and Savior? That's easy to say, but is he really? He'll, he'll teach you something and give you a way that he wants you to live and then to see just how, how serious you are. Because churches aren't full of people who just respond like that to God. They draw back and they start whining, complaining, getting negative. Well, I don't believe in all that. What's he preaching? And instead of having a heart for God, they have a heart against God. Now, if you tell them that, they're going to throw rocks at you. I'm talking about God's people. I'm talking about God's church. His body, figuratively speaking, get this picture, figuratively speaking... The way the head, which is Jesus, expresses himself on this earth is through his body. We are his hands and we are his feet. Hands are gifted with gifts and traits that exemplify Christ. He leads us in ways that he himself would do if he were walking in us. That's what he would do. And he gives us the chance to do that that way. So again, I can say it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And when people ask you a reason of this hope that is within you, how are you so sure of tomorrow? Because he's sure of tomorrow. He's already in my tomorrows. Your whole mind, your mind becomes renewed. Your thinking changes. Everything comes in focus. It's a a Christ-centered life. That's what the church is about. That's what it's supposed to be. Colossians 1, verse 18. And he is the head of the body, comma, his So would you agree with me tonight that when we talk about the body, we're talking about the church? So his body is called the church. The church are the members that comprise or are the components of the body. And the head has the right to tell its members to do whatever he wants them to do. Sometimes they're little things. He said, well, he just made me a finger. Well, your finger, all I am is that fingernail. See, I'm not significant. I don't have, oh, but when your body issues, it loves that finger. Oh, oh, thank you so much. Because see, it works together to please itself because the head instructs the members what he wants them to do. This is a picture of the church. This is his assembly. Look at verse 24. He says it again, for his body's sake, which is what? The church. So I just want to establish that a New Testament church is called, his body, it's called an assembly, a gathering of those who have had an experience, a common experience amongst us. We're all different. I mean, look at how different we are. But the one experience that we've had is the same for all of us. We have turned from sin to Christ. We're not perfect, so sometimes we mess up a little bit. But our hearts are driven to the Lord, and whenever we do repent, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and turn us back around. That's why Jesus said, look, as Christians, as my people, seek my kingdom first. My ways, my right ways, the king and his kingdom seek that first. For you see, this is what a local church is supposed to do. A New Testament church is a local, it's a visible, it's an autonomous body. And we can test ourselves to see if we qualify here. Now, autonomous is a big, long word, which means self-governing. We are not a satellite church under another church's oversight. We are not a church that rules other churches. We are not governed by some bigger something somewhere else or by some bishop or something in some other town or some other place. We are a local, visible, I see you, Autonomous body. We are independent and controlled by no other. With Christ as our head, the only one we have to submit to, with its members, you and I, its members all being born again, properly baptized, being brought together by the Holy Spirit for the purpose of spiritual worship and observing of all the ordinances that God has for us. All this in the context of what the Bible teaches. This is what a New Testament church is. We have one goal, that's to do what God says. We have one aim in being here tonight, that's to learn what God said. Whether or not we do it depends on what's in your heart. If your heart belongs to him, it may be difficult, it may take you a little longer than others, but you will do what he says, because that's what Christians do. And if we are Christians and we are followers of Christ. See, there's a great misconception about the church. We are an autonomous body, we're visible, we're called out, we've been baptized. All of this is according to the biblical record. God shows us, we do it. Oh, I see that, and we do it. But back to where I was a moment ago, there are two terrible misconceptions about the local church today. I'm asking you a question. Have you joined yourself to a local assembly? Maybe you have, maybe you haven't, I don't know. But you get a chance to answer this, and God has a chance to deal with you. There are two churches in the minds of most people. There are two churches, and there are two memberships. I alluded to them earlier. I'm going to say this kindly. I think most all, I'm leaving room for a few, and I mean by a few, I mean barrelful here and a palm, here most people believe in the big church they are independent of their need for a local church because they believe because their names are written in heaven that their membership is in heaven it can't be nullified by anything on this earth and because they are attached to some heavenly body up there the local church is an option they can go if they want to They can go when they want to, they can go as they feel like they should, but their membership is in this unseen, undefined, heavenly church. They can't explain it to you, but they will say like, well, I know I'm saved, I don't go anywhere, but I know I'm saved. Well, they know they're saved, they say because they can read in the Bible that if you do this, this, and this, then you'll be saved, but there's a lot of people that have done this, this, and this, and Jesus said to them, I never knew you. So there's far more than just reading and acknowledging something in the Bible as so and then assuming that you are what it says. Because God holds us to living a life. I mean, there's a way we must live. There's a plow we must put our hands to. The plow doesn't save me. Reading the Bible doesn't save me. I'm saved by grace through faith. You can't take that away from me. But I hold to the fact that if you are saved then your light will truly shine and others will see it. And you'll be different than anybody. You'll be different than other people because you'll be much different than you used to be. But you do belong to a local assembly because, again, a lot of folks say, well, I belong to the big church. They go to any church they want to, if they want to go, when they want to, because they they see themselves that, you know, I'm saved, therefore it's not necessary to be in a church. Maybe I'm not talking to any of you here, but I guarantee you from my last 40 years experience and where I've been and people I have known and attitudes I have observed, and as a pastor, I've seen this. There's far more people that had that attitude who left than are here tonight, four to one, five to one. People just go around like they can go where they want to, if they want to, when they want to, regardless of who accepts them. If you want to move from Timbuktu and go to church down here in Clawhammer, all you have to do is just move down here and go to church, find you a seat, and bless God, you're here. Now, you're here, and therefore, you have to you have to take the oversight of me, and you have to give an account for, for me, and, and if you don't, then I'll go to some other church. They're bound to nothing. They're committed to nothing. And, well, again, I know... A little bit about what I'm talking about, having done this for most now about half of my life, and I know that people have this attitude, and it all goes back to their idea of what a local church is. It's just not necessary. It would be good, you should, you meet your friends there, but as far as salvation or being right with the Lord, or, it's really not important. And I'm not saying that if you're not in this church or in any other church that you're not saved. I'm just saying that if you are saved, God will put you somewhere, if you can. I mean, again, I said there are exceptions, and there's probably some I haven't thought of, but he will put you somewhere. But a lot of people think that the local church is just an option. They belong to the big church. I know God saved me, and I know I'm his, and therefore, don't tell me I have to go anywhere. Because if I don't ever go to any church, I know where my name is. I know where I'm going. I don't know how, who taught them that or how that was taught. I think I believed the same way at one time. But then a, a closer examination of the New Testament, though, you begin to see that a New Testament church is a local assembly. And for me, it's not an option. I can't speak for you all. But for me, it's necessary. I need To be here. This is where God set me. This is where God placed me. I did not move here to try this. I moved here because this is where the Lord brought me. And because he brought me here, then this is where I will be. When the doors are open, if I'm in town, I'll be here because this is where I belong. I'm a part of this. I'm connected with you. I have no right to determine if I'll go or if I won't go. I will go because I belong. That's the way it is. So you see, a, a lot of people do not see it that way. Therefore, there is a lack of commitment. I mean, as some of them will say, well, you ain't going to tell me. what." See, you can't tell some people what to do. They think by making a strong statement in the Scripture that you're trying to tell them what to do. I'm not here to tell anybody what to do. I'll tell you what I believe. But some people think that, well, you go there, they tell you what. You you have to have a baby at home. I've heard that through the years. Well, you have to do. Nobody's ever told you. I've never said that. Well, you have to go to the hospital. I've never said that. I have said this. Having babies is your business. As far as I know in the Bible, we're not in the baby birthing business. That's strictly between you and what you believe and God. But people think that you try to control them. You tell them that you must obey God. Well, are you trying to tell us what? I'm telling you, you must obey God. You have no options. Now, you want to redefine that? That's your business. You want to rest the Scriptures? Rest them to your own destruction. I would rather tell you what it says and have you angry with me than to try to have you on my side and twist the Scriptures so that they don't mean what they should mean. The average person does not see the church as something necessary, but it's something social. It's a good place to go. All good, decent people in the community belong to something. I never was a country boy. I am now. And so sometimes us in the country, we like to go to the Kogobs, the church of the good old boys, and uh, a little quiet place out there where we're just everybody's friendly and gets along good. Most of those are dying today. Because there's no children. There's no young people. and the old people die off, all those old buildings are going to be closed. I did make a remark. There's one down the road from me. I would love to have a Sunday night service. Y'all not welcome to come, but I'd love to have a, a Sunday night service there if they're going to close it down someday. Because I'm sure there are times in the past history that some, some good stuff was in that place. Somebody said some really good things, That it's a shame for that all to go away. But that's God's business, too. It isn't mine. But a local church, for most people, is not a place where you can come if you please, when you please, and how you please. You're not free to do that. None of you have that right. If God puts you somewhere, you belong there. You can visit other places, obviously. If you're somewhere else you want to go, obviously. But I'm talking about your church home, the body that Christ puts you in, where he specifically speaks to you. Now, he, again, he can speak to you anywhere. He can speak to you on the radio. But chances are, he'll make a disciple out of you where he puts you. Now, a lot of people might have gone to a church. They thought was, you know, that God put me in this church and sent me here. and And week after week, they're told that the Bible isn't true and that God doesn't do what he says and that you know, baptism and spirit's not for today, and they start saying a lot of those things, and they just kill everybody's faith. I wouldn't say you'd sit there and listen to that every week because I'm not sure God would send you to a place like that. And it would remain for you to find out where you should, and then when you decide, when God shows you where he wants you to go, you go to that pastor, and you tell him you're leaving, and you tell him why. I don't know how you speak the truth in love in in this time. There's nothing wrong with us being bold with the truth. And if you don't agree with something, then you go in private to that person you don't agree with and you share it with them. You might be wrong. You might be right. But that's how we do it because we're mature and we're growing up and so forth. But how you view the church, whether it's the big church in the sky, the mystical church that you're a part of, or the local assembly of how vital it is to your personal growth and well-being, how you view that is going to determine the kind of attitude that you have and have a whole lot to do with how you do in this life and how you fare, whether you prosper or you don't prosper, whether you do well or you don't do well. I think there's a reward to being where you should be. But God doesn't put you anywhere to make it decline in your life. He puts you somewhere you can grow. G-R-O, capital W, grow. And that's what we should be about. Now, where do we get these ideas and these views of two churches at? Well, let me share that briefly uh, with you. Historically, the Catholic view, the view that the Catholic churches had down through the centuries was that the the church was a universal, visible church that they related, they equated the church to the kingdom of God. And if you're in the kingdom of God, then you're in the Catholic church because outside of the Catholic church is to be outside of God's kingdom. Now, God uses the word kingdom. We're talking about that big church in heaven. God does have a kingdom. You know that, don't you? We are to strive to enter into that kingdom, and yet that same kingdom is within us, and we are to live in such a way, as Luke 17 says, that we inherit that kingdom. Maybe we'll turn to that in a minute, but the word kingdom is a great big word in the Bible, but the Catholics equated the word kingdom with the church, and they said there's no salvation outside the Catholic church. Because outside the Catholic Church, if you're outside the Catholic Church, then you're outside of the kingdom of God. And they are the church, so the Catholic Church, the Catholics believe that they were God's kingdom. And because the Catholic Church was all over the earth, it was universal. It was everywhere. It was visible that you could actually see it. And that's, that's true. And so they, they came up with the idea that the church is universal and visible. But it was a Catholic church, and if you're not in a Catholic church, then you're not saved. Now, Luther, Martin Luther, in the 15th century, he was excommunicated from the Catholic church because he had different view, different views. And there's a whole lot in Catholic theology that is made up of traditions, that the Inspired heads of the church would get together and made there were traditions and a lot of those traditions became they became the law of the church and if you didn't do that or you didn't go that way, you would be excommunicated, and that means you're destined for hell now Luther knew he wasn't lost. Luther knew that he was saved, but he wasn't in the Catholic Church as such, though he maintained his Catholic ways. In Luke 17 and verse 20, he said, Now the kingdom of God is within you. It's where the kingdom is. Now I know that I'm saved, and therefore I know that the kingdom of God is in me. Now you can't see it, so therefore it's invisible. So lodged inside of me as a believer is the invisible Church and everywhere around the world where non-Catholics are that are saved, there's this invisible group of people who are in the church. They may not be Catholics, but they're saved. So this was begin to be known as by some as a mystical body. It was a body everywhere. It wasn't Catholic, but it was wherever there are Christians, you got you got the church. So there was all kinds of beliefs about this and all kinds of added things came out of this. But here's what happened with Luther's view in the church. One, if a person believed that he was a part of an undefined church, as I've been talking about, their commitment, their theology, their mental game was pretty shallow. They weren't real strong in Theology because it wasn 't really a big deal it 'd be nice to hear that it 'd be nice to you know learn all of that stuff, but uh, you know that 's not important The important thing is that you're saved and you're, you're part. you 're saving your your part you belong, but there was a shallow attitude towards the local assembly. it also fostered an indifference among its people, as i 've already said, and history has proven this for. Well, past a thousand years, maybe two thousand years, almost two thousand. People come when they please, people go with the please. If you tell them they must be here, they should be here, they look at the preacher and say, Who gave you the right to tell me what I must or must not do? You have no right to tell me anything. But if the preacher, whom they pay, is not here, they tell him, You are supposed to be here. Because when the preacher signed on in that shallow system, that man-made meaningless system called the local church as it's through history has been watered down to nothing. They go hire them a preacher. They tell him what he's supposed to do. Visit our church. Here's your facilities. Here's the parsonage, and here's your office, and here's the perks. We'll give you your health insurance. We'll pay that. We'll uh, we'll give you a fee for your car, for your trips to the to the hospital and to funerals and all of that. And we'll we'll provide this and this, and you'll get three weeks vacation. Now, nobody in this room can deny that. If anybody's offended by this, but that man is a hireling. He is an employee of a system that God did not design. Say it any way you want to, and I would challenge you to find almost any church in any community that's not governed like that. You'll find a few, the little ones like ours. You'll find the insignificant little look down upon groups, maybe like us, at the big, bigger churches, a more refined better equipped and better, pre- better organized and more whatever, they would look down at us as though we, it's not a big deal. You know, you all don't know anything anyway. Luther's theology, and I don't want to blame him for this, but this, this is kind of the way it became because I've been here long enough. I've been a Christian long enough to know this. If I'm not careful, I won't, I won't count on a, 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 fifth, a tenth of the people that I know. I won't count on them to do what they said. Because it's very seldom where people really that committed to doing it because it's, it's a way of serving God. Most of them think, well, I'll do it for you. But no, you do it as a service to God, whether fixing things, painting things, remodeling things. You're not doing God a favor by being here tonight. God doesn't say, oh, you came. Oh, I'm so, hey, angels, he's here tonight. He doesn't do that. Before you ever got here, God knew all about this. The word that you're going to hear has already been planned. How you listen to it tonight was already known. If you don't need this tonight, if this is not a vital, important part of your life, you will take it for granted and you'll listen to it casually and you'll walk out that door feeling like if you don't want to do that, you don't have to because you're not committed. Now see, I'm not talking to y'all tonight. I'm talking to whoever. I can't point to that because my buddies or friends are out there. I'm just saying that Christian people have been so affected down through the centuries by grandparents, parents, friends in churches, Sunday school classes, all these things that we've been a part of. And and you're free to come and go as you please. Everybody's free to come and go as they please, except the preacher. And he is paid to be here. He is paid to preach. And I can tell you this from a bunch of them that I know. I'll let you in on a little secret. Most of them aren't really that concerned if whether or not they're saying what they're going to preach on is inspired or not, as long as people like it. As long as they're pleased with his delivery and with his words. And you feel good about yourself. Most people like that. That's the kind of church that people say, find yourself a good church and join it. Just look around and see if you can find one that's like you like it. Doesn't the Bible say somebody needs to help me here with this, some of you scholarly young folks? Isn't there a verse somewhere in the Bible about fables that peoples will turn aside from the truth? Isn't there something that, that sounds scriptural, doesn't it, that in the last days they will turn aside from hearing the truth and will turn aside unto fables? Where do fables come from? Well, they're doctrines of demons. The devil knows how to make us comfortable, which is nothing more than a way to snare you. Then once he snares you, he makes you miserable. He tells you not to go to church. You don't have to go. And then when you do stay home. He condemns you for going, for not going. You can't win. And if you do decide you're going to go back to church, he starts calling you a hypocrite. So when you get there, you won't do nothing but sit anyway and feel bad. The devil's a master deceiver. But if you're not taught that, you'll never know that. And if we're not taught, what do we, what do, we do? What do we become? What happens to us if we only go to church and hear stories? I'm not asking you to respond. I'm just saying, what happens to the people? I mean, what happens if I never know any more about God than I know now? What happens if you leave me with what I think and what I assume to be true and tell me, well, that's all right. Everybody's got his own way of living. You know, We're all going to the same place anyway. What, what if you just leave me with that? What's going to happen to me on Judgment Day? Not only will I be able to say to him, I never knew you, You never affected my life. I was never convicted by you. The messenger you sent was so concerned about how well he was received and whether or not he can keep his job that he just told me things that I was pleased to hear and not things I needed to hear. And a lot of people are going to go to the end of their life. I'm sure my dad. My dad died. He's a young man. He's way younger than I am. He sat in the Catholic church his whole life and was pleased with himself of all the times he went to church and the time he spent fixing and helping the boiler room in that Catholic church. My daddy was a, was a steam fitter and a plumber and all those things that he did and all that way in which he served God, and yet he never knew him. He never knew him. You know why? Because nobody ever taught him. He was put to sleep in a dead system that was made by men many centuries ago. And he got snared into that system and hopefully in the last days of his life. And that good man, Bo Walters, Baptist preacher up in Lancaster, Indiana, a ball of fire, Asked my daddy to go out in the hallway, and he went out in the hallway and set him down and told him a plan of salvation and asked him if he'd like to be saved, and he said he did. I hope that worked. I really do. I'd like to think that he's out there now. He may be sitting in a corner of heaven, but I'd rather be in a corner of heaven than in a corner of hell. Amen. But I'm just saying that here's how big a deal this thing about the church is. The wrong church, the wrong place can kill you. You feel good and you're happy, but at the end, you realize a lot of people reach the end of their life and realize they don't know anything. Nobody taught them. The man you were paying to teach you really didn't care if you learned anything or not, as long as you liked him. Because if he did crack down on you a little bit, the board got together, fired him. You can fire who you hire. you hired, you fired. And you hire another one. I watched it my whole life in the Christian church. And I never realized the condition of the church that I grew up in until I got saved. I realized when I got saved and just one day raised my hands like that, it just, they were all upset with me. But see, I was such a, I'm ashamed of this, but I was a smart aleck. And they get on my case, and I knew them all my life, and i just go back right at them. Well, you're a good one to tell me something. I ain't ever seen you. and nothing out of you. Oh, my mother would get upset. Tom, I told them one time we ought to buy a golf course. Then we could be a big social club here in town. They got them walked out. A couple of them did. And I said, you need to hear this, too. And he stomped out of there. See, that? that's not good. That's I, I was. That's ugly, ugly, ugly. And I am ashamed of that. I'm just saying that, that that system was so dry and so dead, but people liked it because they didn't have to do anything, didn't have to listen if you don't want to. It's just where we go to church, and when things don't go the way they want to go, hey, we were here before you, and this is the way we're going to do it, and we don't want that stuff in this church. Because there were people that spoke in tongues and, People believed in healing and casting out of demons, and they didn't want that stuff in this church. They were really upset. But, you know, it was from, for me, it was my time in life, and it still is, that God opens your eyes. Now, that's grace, that at some point in your life, before you get too old to do anything about it, God opens your eyes to see that bigger picture of how God's people have been so mishandled. They've been so scripturally abused and left alone that God has to judge all of them. Because when he said, this is the way, walk ye in it, as far as I know, he meant we should walk. That nobody's free to sit down and fold his arms and say, I ain't going to. I think if he said, do this, I think you should do that. I don't think you do that in order to get saved. I think you're saved before you do that. But somebody has just left the church alone. I know I harp on this a lot. I know that some of you probably know where I'm going when I start this stuff. But it bothers me because I I watched my family die. I don't. My sister was too little. My brother he was he had nothing. He couldn't even talk about this, and yet I could call on most any man in this church, just about anybody in here, and get ready to go home. I say. Uh, I could say, Tom, lead us in prayer. We go home, and here he goes. We have my time. Okay, that's enough, Tom. And yet I was an elder in the Christian church, (laughs) and the idea of a public prayer just petrified me. i just chill. I guess because I stuttered, and I was afraid i will never get three sentences out until they think, you know, is he awake? Did he... Is he singing, or what's he doing? Mm, trying to get a word out. I remember when we got saved and our eyes really did get open. We begin to see the meaning and the value of meeting together. Because it is a body. We're not crusomatics. We don't just go when we please, where we please, if we please, but we puts us somewhere together, and we learn to make this adjustment, how we learn to fit in together, living stones that are being put together, a house that Paul spoke is being built together into a habitation of God, that things have to be refined and cleaned up, and, and some work has to be done on us, but, but God's going to do that with some people. If I tell you this, that some people are really going to conform to his image, would you believe that? Some are. It's in their heart. They come to church wanting to hear more. They struggle with the weaknesses in their life, and they just detest and despise the fact that they would do that. And they want to be challenged. And yet there are some, now I don't mean this for about wrong, my little, my little grandkids, because I got 32 of them. Some of them are big enough to talk yet, so I'm not talking about them. But I've said to a bunch of them in life, I said, you want me to preach long or short? Like, short. Now what if, listen, now, I know what they're saying. Kids don't like to listen to all this. They're just, they're young and it's too much, you know, <laughs> like that. But what if they grow up like that? What if they never hear anything that ever touches their hearts? What if they never get convicted? I don't care. You make a lot of money. You become famous. You become whatever you want to. You can have all. The Bible said you can gain the whole world and lose your soul. And I do believe that a part of what happens when a body comes together is that maybe next week, maybe this week, maybe next month, but periodically you get located you feel bad about yourself. You ever you ever felt bad about yourself? I have. I preach. I preach myself into conviction. I've said a lot of things in my life. I thought, well, you might as well just lay lay down right here. You just shot yourself. Well, if that's let it be true, then. But sometimes a word is like an uh, an arrow. And it has a purpose. It has a design. When God let the thing go, its design was to pierce to the, the, uh, the uh, uh, divine. Um. The, the Bible says something about the word of God being a, a sharp. That's it. That's the one. It's sharp, two-edged sword. And what does it do? Divides asunder. It splits in two and makes a distinction in your life, your personal life, between what is spiritual and what is not. You ever been there? Have you ever felt convicted by a lack, a deficiency, or an ineptness in your life? Sure you have. What's the purpose of that? The preacher wants you to have pain. No. No. The preacher wants to see just how far he can go without being fired. No. Thank God I can't be fired. But... I don't think I can. I probably could be if if it came to that. But God wants to locate you, make you aware of what you're not and who you are, and then command a change. Now, the reason this happens, and we'll get into this more next week, the reason this happens is because somebody was sent to tell you what you heard. Not somebody necessarily eloquent or refined or or uppity or snooty or anything else, but just somebody that has a call. And when God speaks a little sentence every now and then, it's not a part of the sermon. You speak that out and somebody goes, Ugh. She said, did you tell him I was coming? No, did you tell him I was coming? No. It's just God's way of dealing with us. And to me, the most... Obvious place for God to do that is when he brings us together as an assembly We're only here for an hour or so We're not here a long time We only have a brief opportunity twice in a week and all of the many hours of the week God brings us together because that's what his church does his church comes together and he takes out of us that independent attitude. He reduces us down to what we are, sinners saved by grace. We have no right to tell him what to do. We have no right to change anything he told us to do. The only right we have is to respond and say yes to Jesus. But you compare that with people who say there is there's no law but love, no pastor but Jesus. No membership except in the big church. God would call those people lawless, iniquious. They are a law unto themselves. They think they know more than God does. And if you tell them things that they need to hear, that they don't like to hear, their answer is usually, well, that's just your opinion. These people usually fail to see the authority of the church. This is a little headier But turn to Matthew 18 for just a moment. This is probably a little heady. I won't make it that way, but it probably is to study it. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15. I don't know how many people see the authority of the church, because again, how could somebody that you hire to preach two sermons bury the old folks? marry the young ones, balance the budget, and direct the choir. That was in the Christian church. A man is hired to do all of that, that's the authority that he's given to do, but he has no authority outside of that. And yet, here's what the New Testament church's authority is said to be. Matthew 18 and verse 15, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, Go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Now we're talking here about a body, the church. But if he's ornery and he won't hear you, then take with you one or two more that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. That way, just two of you, he could say, well, I didn't say that. And you, Well, yes, you did. But if you got a witness there who can say, yeah, you did say that. Yes, he did say that. So you take two or three. Verse 17, and if he, ne- if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it to whom? Sure. That's our life. This is our week right here. We prepare for this coming together. We prepare for Sunday morning. This, our whole week is planned around it. This is the particular moment that all of our attention is focused on God. This is the time that we have set aside in our lives by choice to come together to hear the Word. And we pray that we will hear the Word and not just something that is not the Word. But he said, if he will neglect to hear them, tell it to the whole church. But if he neglect to hear the church, then let him be unto you as a heathen and a publican. And these are the people that in... Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 6, that we separate ourselves from. We have nothing to do with these kind of people. People in the church don't want to do what God says and stay away from them, leave them alone. That's what he said. Now, we don't do that because, again, we we have a different view of how loving we ought to be in spite of what God says. And in verse 18, listen to this. Verily I say unto you, Whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Who has that authority? Well, not only do you individually have that authority, but the church does. If you bind it, that means you forbid it. If you permit it then you allow it, God says, if you take my word and you bind something, then I'll bind it. But if you don't know anything about the Word and you just let things be as they are, and say, well, whatever will be, will be, and heaven will not move. People will cry about, oh, why doesn't God do something? Because you're not doing anything like he said. If you don't want to do anything about it, why should you expect him to? People blame God for everything. You know, people don't even go to church to blame God for accidents and problems. A young lady called me once and just cried because of a terrible thing that happened in her life, and she said to me, why would God do this? And I remember telling her, God didn't do this. Your problem is not God. Your problem's the devil. The thief, Jesus said, comes to kill and to steal and destroy. That's what the devil does, not God. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. But people aren't interested in knowing how that works. So they live the way they live. Things, bad things keep happening and keep happening, and they blame God for it. It's not God's fault. Paul said one time about the authority, he said that he, he delivered one man to, to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. What if we did that? Could we do that here? That's in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 20. These people were just simply blasphemers, talking against what we believe and so forth. He said, I've delivered him unto Satan for the destruction of his flesh till he learned not to blaspheme. Now, I don't know that I've ever done that. I think one time I was real tempted but I have seen so many disasters leave here. I have. I've seen so many people's worlds fall apart. Not over things that couldn't be fixed, because they could have all been fixed. But there's a way that God has taught us to deal with life and to deal with problems. He taught us that in the assembly. And there's just a lot of people that just don't want to do it. Don't like it, don't want to hear it, can't handle that. I disagree with that, and off they go. So in closing tonight, our last verse, turn to 1 Corinthians 12. What then will constitute a New Testament church? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and verse 27 and 28. What is a New Testament church? Here we are. Now we, that's us, Wherever there's this assembly, where two or more are gathered, he's there. He said, you are the body of Christ and members in particular. Now, does this mean, do you see that in verse 27, you are the body of Christ? Does this mean that there's only one body? Or was he referring to a local church? A local church, which functions like a body. You have the head, which we're teaching about and learning to aspire to be like. And we are his body. We are members in particular. Verse 27, you are the body of Christ and members in particular. And God has set some, verse 28, in the church, and he shows you there the kind of gift, the giftings, the certain different kinds of anointings he puts on certain and different people to do certain and different things. Because it's his church. Could God put an apostle in a church? Could he put a prophet in a church? Could he put a pastor in a church? You don't even have a church without a pastor. Ooh, that's next week. Ooh. Make sure you come. Amen. If we are the body of Christ and members in particular, and God has set some in the church, as he said in verse 28, then we realize again that the term body of Christ is a metaphor which uses a human body to show that the church is a body, that it has members, it's a living organism, and these members in right relationship with each other function on the behalf of pleasing the head. That's what a New Testament church is. That's what we're supposed to be. If all the pieces of the last 31 years here if the 31 years in this place—not uh, all of you been here that long—but forever how long you have been here, if all the things that God has specifically designed for you to hear have been heard, and if you have taken to heart the things you have heard in order to understand them—remember Matthew 13, the sword and the seed understandeth not? When the seed gets sown, it's sown on everybody— Only God knows what kind of heart you got, what kind of soul you have. I don't. But the word is sown, And for those who hear it and deal with it and won't let it escape, and they ask themselves a hard question, now, is this me? And if it is, am I doomed or is this word designed to rescue me? What can I do? How do I respond? Teach me thy ways, O Lord. And this person will be what they're supposed to be. And this is what God will want. In a body of Christ, there are three things. You've got a pastor who sometimes is called an elder, but he's a leader. You don't have a New Testament church without that. It was necessary in the beginning that when there were so many people, they couldn't meet in one place, they met in homes. You had a group over here in this house. You had a group over here in that house. They didn't have any big buildings they could rent. And they had a group over here and a group over there, and these apostles appointed elders, didn't they? They founded the that most spiritual men, and they ordained them elders in every city. They ordained them. They They laid hands on them and fasted and they prayed for them. And these men were to become leaders. Because what do you have if you just have a bunch of people in a home without a leader? You have opinions. And everybody is a law unto himself. And nothing happens because nothing is directed by the Holy Spirit. Two people get into it. Nobody can fix it and solve it. But if you put a leader there and they all respect him and submit themselves to him, then things become controlled. That is, they become uh, a condition in which God can teach people and correct people. And so you have leaders in the home, and you have members. You've got to have members to have a church. How many do you have to have to have a real church? At least 300. <laughs> and we're not one, are we? It never says how many. But the one Jesus had had 12. You put them on the first row and two seats behind it. That was his church, 12 people. And the third thing you have when you have a New Testament church is you have growth, evangelism, and discipleship. As the people grow, they proclaim. As they proclaim, more people are added to the church. And as long as the church is in one accord and they're all flowing together, seeking first the kingdom, God adds daily to it. And when they start fighting in the New Testament, it stopped. Added one every now and then occasionally, but not like it was in the beginning. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you joined yourself to a local assembly? Do you know where it is? Are you sure you belong there? Is it where God puts you? Amen. Stand to your feet. I'm glad you're here because I'm here too. See, I don't know about all of you. I know about two of us. I know about me and my roommate, <laughs> us two, me and Bonnie. I know he sent us here. I know he leaves us here. My heart is here. And I know some of you are too. And hopefully before it's over, I'll say, I know all of you are. And God will bless us wonderfully and big. Amen.